This is the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast, where we cover books, beverages, and the general BS of the day. A few disclaimers, we are not literary experts, or experts in anything for that matter, and explicit content should be expected. I am your host, Barry Price. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, we're live. Red All right, everybody. On. Red lights on. Welcome to episode two of the Bourbon Bookshelf podcast. Uh, something I want to do since I failed to do in episode one is give a, a general overview of the show. Uh, we don't necessarily have a specific aim. Uh, I think our goal is to read books and use that to bring us together and then see where the conversation goes from there and hopefully just serve as good company for the listeners. Uh, my name is Barry. We got uh, Jared, John, out of South Carolina. And uh, we'll be the regulars. We hope to bring in folks here and there when available. Uh, Jared, what are you drinking tonight? Tonight, I'm drinking the Hoppiness Monster, an IPA by... Catawba Brewing, right outside of, right in between Asheville and uh, Charlotte. Good beer country. That's North Carolina. Free folks in Rio Linda. (laughs) (laughs) John, what are you sipping on? Tito's and Topo. There we go. The, The enhanced version of the Chilton made popular in Lubbock, Texas. Yes, sir. I've got, uh, I came prepared this week. I've got my bullet bourbon. I believe it's mixed in Kentucky, but I can't say for sure. John, you got any feedback on that? (laughs) (laughs) I went to Bullet's bourbon experience, and it's at this old distillery, and they just basically walk you out into the parking lot and say, Yep, that's a distillery, and pointed so, at an old smokestack. Beautiful building. Okay. They're, yeah. probably, they're probably still able to do their tours if it's outdoors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. as long as Given. nine people show up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we should probably touch on the, uh, I guess we're all we're all self-isolating. I'm in a closet recording the podcast. <laughs> as we I'm sitting up, up above place. a barn. <laughs> You got a barn apartment, Jared? I do. I'm, oh, that gun, John's got. Bar. John's got some experience with barn apartments too. Yes, sir, I'm in South Carolina. <laughs> There's no live animals below this one, though. Oh hell! Can even call it a barn then? <laughs> More like so, a shed. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, I uh, I brought Sam Houston and the Alamo. <laughs> Alamo Avengers, the Texas victory that changed American history by Brian Kilmeade. I, uh, I'm the only one that read it, read it. Jared, you got through what? 75, 80% of the audiobook. Yeah, I got through about 80% of the audiobook. John's just, uh, here to be himself this week. So, uh, it was a pretty good book. I wouldn't, uh, so, 
I wouldn't say it's uh, it would please a historian, but it's it's generally accurate. I would say if you're just looking for a ten thousand foot view of the whole situation, it'd be a good book for you. Uh, if you go read the Amazon views, you'll you'll figure that out. I would compare it uh, to the Killing series by Bill O'Reilly, which are fantastic books in my opinion, John. I think you've read a handful of them. I think They're, I've read all uh, of them except England. Oh really? I've read yeah. I've read all of them, but but Killing Jesus. Um, they're good. They're the same way. They're written. They read almost like fiction, but they have, you know, they've got historical value to them. Um, so easy to read. Pretty quick. I read it, uh, oh, over the course of about two weeks, probably not ever making any, uh, any serious effort at it. Uh, but like I said, it's a good overview. It does a good job of just in and characters and provides a good timeline uh and one thing i like that you don't always get with a history book is that it kept things in a pretty good chronological order of the actual story not this was happening and then you jump ahead five years and this and that so uh just some highlights from the book uh, the introduction says, My son, take this musket and never disgrace it. For remember, I had rather all my sons should fill one honorable grave than that one of them should turn his back to save his life. Go and remember, too, that while the door of my cottage is open to brave men, it is eternally shut against cowards. That was a uh, message from Elizabeth Houston, who I assume is the mother of Sam Houston, to... Her sons, obviously. And I found it quite moving. So, starting out, it, he just gives a kind of a history of folks moving into Texas and things like that. Uh, early on, there people used to could get land grants from the United States government and get land pretty cheap. Well, at some point, the government took that right away, and so people started moving to Texas, where the Mexican government was uh, giving land out uh, for what was it, a dollar twenty-five for eighty acres, mm -hmm. which is about what you can get land for in Terralingua right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, I I learned recently, and this this may be bullshit or maybe not, but uh, S. C. Gwynn, who wrote Empire of the Summer Moon, which is a book about the Quanta Parker and the Comanches, was on Joe Rogan's podcast and said that uh, the reason the Mexicans were giving this land away is to ward off attacks from the Comanches, basically using white settlers as a buffer up in that area to keep them down into Mexico to do this, which I suspect worked worked out uh, pretty well. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that. <clears throat> that isn't totally an unreasonable uh, assumption. I mean, that, that, that's pretty cheap land. Yeah. So, fast forward in a little bit, and uh, I'll do my best to keep a timeline, but I'll, I'm not a stickler for details like that. But uh, fast forward to the mid-1830s, 
the Texans are starting to get a little rowdy. The Texians, as I say it in this day and age, but uh, trying to, they're starting to get a little rowdy, and the rebellion's kind of getting rounded up. And the Texans have got this cannon that the Mexicans gave to them, uh, and Gonzalez, and the Mexicans gave it to them to fend off Comanches. And so it gets to a point where the Mexicans are saying there can be no more than ten guns within a town, and they want to come take this cannon as well. Uh, the Texians are able to, to basically talk to Mexican and say, hey, we still need it to protect the city. But now the Texans are saying. We, and then the Mexicans come, they want to take the cannon. Uh, <laughs> and the Texans are saying, hey, our mayor's out of town. Y'all just kind of hang out for a couple days till he gets back to, to negotiate this and uh anyways it comes to comes to be a little skirmish but nothing much the mexicans kind of run off and they the texans get to keep the cannon anyways the reason i brought all that up uh that was the origin of the come and take it flag which now has probably national prominence but that's where that that flag came about was from that uh that cannon they sewed that flag up and hung it over them there. Um, the next next big event is called the Battle of Concepcion. Uh, this is this is probably the first major skirmish compared to the over Gonzalez especially. But in this one, uh, you, you already start to see fighting types unfolding. Uh, the Texians fight more in a militia style, hiding in the trees, a uh, little cover and move type stuff. Whereas the Mexicans are fighting old European style, line up and march and just stand out there to be chopped meat, basically. Uh, and the Texans, the Texans in this battle, it was shown had better weapons. Uh, they had what they called the Kentucky long rifle, which had an had a range accurate up to 200 yards. The guns that the uh, Mexicans were using were only accurate up to maybe 75 yards. And so that, that really made the difference throughout, throughout the entire uh, battle for Texas, uh, aside from in a few places like the Alamo, which we'll get to. But uh, the, the Texans ended up taking a cannon during this battle uh from the mexicans that they you know later went on to use against them hey. now i what i remember is like so the the mexicans weren't only equipped with these old age rifles but they were also equipped with pretty poor gunpowder and also pretty poor horses which i thought That's was correct. fascinating for you know an army such as 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 the Mexicans, like they're supposed to be superior, but they're still kind of equipped with. with right. Well, and that's true. And I think I want to say even their uh, their lead for their balls was worse. And I think the gunpowder was so bad that if the if the Texians captured mm-hmm. it, they wouldn't even. 
and you know, they were still fighting yeah. in big bulky uniforms you know it'd be the equivalent of wearing like a tux today and carrying oh, yeah. sabers and things like that but it's pretty uh, yeah they the rifles didn't have rifling that's, that's yeah no grooves but, which is why they probably only had the range of 75 yards you know maxed you know and combine that with the poor powder uh i, I want to know at what point they knew they were in trouble like the effectiveness of their weapons versus uh, the texans like you know, that's like a, that's a good question yeah, probably we're screwed can't, <laughs> like, can't get in on them that's a good question actually uh, uh in uh, blood meridian which i'm currently trying to read they uh one of the characters makes gunpowder from saltpeter and charcoal and has everyone piss into it so they can mix it all. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember that. I'm going to have to reread that damn book. Me too. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and something else, too. Uh, with the... With uh, uh, forgot what I was gonna say. Where'd oh. Jared go? No, I think we lost him. No, Let's I'm see right if we here. Bring him back. Oh, you're here. I'm okay. right here. No, I remembered. I remembered where I was going. Uh, you know the the Texians. These are all people. You know, these aren't like first class citizens that were coming to Texas. You know, they're throughout the book, throughout the book, they actually call them second chancers. You know, it's all people who were running from something, essentially. They might have made a and mistake so, in their life. You know, they're just looking to fight. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyways, we get getaways <laughs> up. Things are kind of quiet. Yeah. Uh, the the general army of texas was wanting to march on to san antonio uh and and the leaders were saying no let's not do that uh no need to eventually they did it was it was pretty uh underwhelming taking the alamo they they came in under cannon fire uh cleared the houses and and ultimately took the alamo where they wound up staying for a couple of weeks uh there's a a section in the book called downtown san antonio so now that we're into the alamo uh just wanted to bring up i know both of y'all have been to san antonio but the alamo is literally mm -hmm. still right in the middle of downtown it's actually uh it's actually almost a little depressing yeah it is it really is <laughs> that, it's right, it's small. that it's right yeah that it's it's small and it's you know it's being in the middle of the city like that makes it makes it not seem so uh as important i guess i don't know no. what the what the right word is but but one thing so i was down there over christmas for a week uh just hanging out and uh Another place that was mentioned several times in the book is the San Fernando Church. That it was used as an observation point. It's it's pretty prominent. 
that church is actually still there. It was built in the 1700-somethings. It's still there. You can go in and walk around. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And actually, the ashes of uh, maybe Crockett and Travis and Bowie, all the ones that died at the Alamo are actually still entombed there. And so it's got... It's it's just a cool place. So if you're ever in San Antonio, check it out. It's a uh, maybe about half a mile from the Alamo. But uh, anyway, so now the the Texians are in the Alamo, and Santa Ana's army begins to march on San Antonio. You know, they're the estimates range from all over the damn place. Five hundred of them to you know five thousand of them. Uh, I think I think the total number ended up being maybe in the neighborhood of 1500 but uh they they had the alamo under siege for 12 or 13 days just constant bombardment nobody died but you can imagine you know just the lying in wait and probably getting a little bit of shell shock coming from that but uh during that time travis uh william barrett travis was kind of starting to recognize that they were fucked ultimately and starts right starts writing out letters and asking for help and just saying you know whatever we'll deal with it uh so at the alamo there was travis crockett and uh Bowie. i wanted to touch on crockett a little bit uh there's a there's a meat there's an entire meat eater episode about davy crockett and the myth that surrounds him uh, this book doesn't do much to clear it up other than when he showed up to Texas, he was ready to become and fight as a Texan. But, uh, you know, there's things like he killed 85 bears in a day and all this <laughs> kind of stuff. So, uh, just a little bit everywhere he went because of his uh, coonskin cap. So, uh, you think that would be allowed today? A coonskin cap? Yeah, well, I mean, just walking around town with that. Uh, it'd probably be welcome. I don't know. You probably, you might get some side eye, but yeah. <laughs> probably have to be out west. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, he ultimately was executed at the Alamo. Uh, he didn't die in the battle. But uh, we'll get to that. So uh, the first, yeah, <laughs> respect. Let's all pour one out for our homie. The uh, <laughs> so the first, the first in, the first letter that Travis sends out says, uh, "The enemy in large force is in sight. We want men and provisions. Send them to us. We have 150 men and are determined to fight, or are determined to defend the Alamo to the last. Give us assistance." Uh, so this was on February 23rd. That's about 10 days or so before the before the big battle. Uh, jump ahead. He uh, he's writing out another letter saying I've I've been under continual bombardment for 24 hours. Uh, to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. 
He uh, replied to that with a cannon shot and a flag waving proudly above the walls and states, I shall never surrender or retreat. Uh, the enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or four thousand in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sane myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country, victory or death. So, he's fired up. He's not really giving too many shits. He's going for it either way, it's my opinion, uh, and probably knowing it's a, a losing war. At least that piece of it is. Now, now so did... Any of the letters reach Sam Houston, though. Like, they other other I than think, the last one. I think they all did, but it was probably, you know, it's too late, too little, too late. Because mm. you got to think. I mean, I think Gonzalez is maybe or in Goliad or or both seventy to a hundred miles away. And so back in those times, you know, that's two days travel. Best case, if nothing gets intercepted or, mm. you know, doesn't rain or anything like that. Now, they're sending so, out these uh, letters, though. I'm wondering if they lose a man every time they send out a letter. Yeah, I suppose. Well, you know, I think they had, des- I think they had designated, you know, it's probably just one guy going back and forth. Yeah. Running stuff around. Um, so fast forward to March 5th, um, uh, Santa Ana announces to his army that, that it's time to attack. Uh, no quarter is to be given, you know, they're taking no prisoners, which is a, you know, I can, I can respect that. Uh, they plan to attack early in the morning the next day, March the 6th. On uh, that same day, coincidentally or not, uh, Travis has his line in the sand speech that you, I'm sure you've heard of. He draws a line through the through the sand and says, "If you want to stay and fight, come join me. If you don't, you're free to go." Uh, that every phrase originated. Probably so. Yeah. Uh, which is which is funny listen. though. The person who didn't cross the line was the only one to tell the story. Yeah, and so, so had had he crossed the line, we may have never known that that have happened. Anyway, funny thought. Um. Hold on. So line in the sand, but he. Uh, so yeah, like you said, there's one man who didn't. He was free to go. Uh, of those men, you know, it's about 100, 150 to 180. They had 800 muskets and rifles on hand, uh, and over 500 loads of canister and grape shot for the artillery. The uh, 800 muskets was a big advantage to them early in the battle because that's, you know, every man had they could fire rapidly. They just shoot one, put it down, shoot another, put it down, shoot another. Uh, which back in that day was, you know, it probably took a skilled rifleman could probably reload in, you know, a minute, I would think. 
But uh, so from there, the battle started at about 5.30 that morning. Uh, just wave after wave of Mexicans coming for the Alamo. All the Texans are sleeping. I think they may have partied a little bit the night before. So maybe not feeling all that great. But uh, the Mexicans had had a hell of a time coming at first because, you know, they're just marching on the walls and, and the, the Texans had cover. Uh, they'd rise up, shoot, drop down, get a new rifle, rise up and shoot. Uh, Travis was actually one of the first people killed in the battle. He was uh, directing the cannons and silhouetted against the fire and... and uh, easily identified not not as travis but uh you know just a target so uh you know santa Ana is just gonna bring in as many men as possible overwhelm them doesn't care anything about uh, how many men he loses uh i think he even referred to him as chickens at one point mm-hmm. and so he uh, something else that's different with him is he stayed well back, uh, had no interest in being a part of the battle, which is you know he's he's the leader, so that's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But he uh, when you think about Travis being being right there up front, it's just a bit of a contrast. Um, well, didn't they talk about like Santa Ana, like uh, how he wanted to. Uh, imitate a painting of Napoleon yeah, by riding yeah. in the front. But in this particular battle, he, he's sitting in the back. Like, I don't know. It's not a cool move on his part, but no. And, and there's more to, more to come with him. Uh, and so for the first, the first little bit of the fight, uh, the Texans are, are actually pretty well in control of it. Uh, one one Mexican soldier was quoted saying, it seemed every cannonball or pistol shot of the enemy embedded itself in the breasts of our men. Uh, so, once again, probably a, a testament to their, uh, not only equipment, but skill sets as well. Uh, Santa Ana wanted, wanted all of them to die. Like I said, no quarter to be given. Uh, he had his buglers playing a rhythmic, rhythmic march called the Guello. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but, uh, it was called the music of merciless murder. And the Guello is actually derived from the Spanish word, the Geyer, which means throat cutting. So he was on it there. But uh, anyways, the, you know, the battle, ultimately the, uh, the Mexicans breached the wall and were able to uh, kill or capture all the Texans. Uh, the Alamo fell, you know, there was at the end, there was a handful, uh, Davy Crockett and the, uh, uh, the, ten- the Tennessee Volunteers. I think is what they call themselves. It all kind of retreated into the chapel area of the Alamo where they were later found and then executed. Uh, the ending body count ended up being uh, 500 killed for the Mexicans. And then all 180 of the Texans were killed, obviously. Texas forever. 
Yeah, and so they did some pretty good damage. In, uh, <clears throat> in Saluda, South Carolina, there's actually a monument for one of the two gentlemen, or uh, for two guys from Saluda that died at the Alamo. Really? So if, if you're ever if you're ever driving through Saluda, South Carolina, and you see the Texas flag flying, that's why. Really? <laughs> I, I, I had to stop. I had to stop and check it out. But where uh, is that? I've driven I, through Saluda several times. Uh, it's on the main road. Yeah, it's like right right at their uh, uh, their city hall. Um, okay. Right across there. Uh, there's like a Chinese buffet across the street, <laughs> but it's uh, it it threw me off the first time I drove through, and I I had to stop and uh, wish I could remember their names, but can't at the time. I have to pop back over there. So uh, after the battle, you know the cleanup is a is a damn bloody mess inside the Alamo, apparently. Or as you can imagine, uh, something I didn't know that I learned from this book is that they just piled up the the bodies of the dead and burned all of them. And so, you know, that's not uh, that. In addition to to giving no quarter, isn't necessarily good laws of the battlefield. But that became something that the Mexicans continued to do was burn the bodies of everybody they massacred. Um, so after this, the the next big battle, or skirmish, I should say, is what they're calling the Battle of the Prairie. It's basically uh, the men are the men are at Goliad. Uh, they get word of the Alamo massacre, and they're they're kind of trying to to retreat to combine all the armies. There's all these little militias kind of scattered out around every town, and they're saying we'll never we'll never make it with these small forces. But uh, so as that's going on, uh, just a small group of, of Texians crosses paths with a with the Mexican army and it this is basically just another another example of the militia style fighting versus the uh classic European style the Mexicans are basically just laying out in the grass I mean the Texans I'm sorry just laying out in the grass shooting uh they're undercover they've got their their good weapons uh the Mexicans never really even are able to get up on them uh in their march before they end up retreating uh so basically later that night the two the two armies are setting up camp and something i i finally realized or i I recognized was that throughout this whole battle the two armies were never more than probably a thousand yards apart you know and so that night while the Mexicans are out picking up their dead, they're partying and playing music and, uh, you know, basically just raising hell, trying to make the, the Texians uneasy. Which, when you think about only being a thousand yards apart, wouldn't be that hard to do. No, not at all. Yeah. 
Um, but later on, basically, is the the continuation of that. There's the Battle of Goliad. Uh, the Texians were were overrun, overwhelmed, ended up surrendering. The Mexican general that was there told them, you know, they'd be treated as prisoners uh, and, and had plans to honor that. But ultimately, once Santa Ana found out, he ordered all of them executed. Uh, it was close to, close to 400 men by the time it was all said and done. So that's two two big blows uh, to the Texan army pretty quick. Uh, you know, morale is down. They're trying to retreat, uh, reconvene. Their guns are broken. They're out of food. Just kind of all the, you know, same old stuff. It's probably raining, you know, cold. <laughs> uh, so anyways, they're... You know, we're we're getting on, and uh, uh, General Houston has taken back over, kind of, he's been gone, uh, you know, he's trying to set up a government, he likes hanging out with Indians and things like that, uh, so he's trying to kind of reorganize the army, they're all marching, marching away from San Antonio, uh, a lot of the men felt like they were retreating, like that wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't uh, wasn't honorable. Uh, Houston didn't view it that way. He kind of he viewed it more as a reorganization. You know, let's catch our breath, figure out where we need to go. And uh, you know, he wasn't ready to fight. He said, uh, you know, there's times when it requires more courage to retreat than it does to stand and fight. Uh, and he was, he was also tired of the men trying to fight from forts. So, uh, eventually they wind up at this place called the Bernardo plantation, which, which probably in my opinion, ultimately ended up being what changed the, the course of the, the war or the fight. I should say the, the men had been marching for a couple weeks to this point. Where where is this Bernardo plantation? Uh, Do you have a location on that? Let me see. I got I'm just map curious. I wonder if it's still there today. Gotta be. Uh it's in East Texas. Probably close to maybe modern day. It sounds like it's in Austin. It's probably under I-35 now. Probably. Probably. Martin Springs. (laughs) We'll we'll figure that out. I'll I'll come back to that later. But uh, anyway, so... They're able to get to this place. Uh, the owner of the plantation gives them full, uh, full access to his livestock, his blacksmith, uh, his wheat crop. So the men are able to fix their guns. Uh, uh, they're eating good food, getting to rest. Uh, we're able to refill their supplies. He gave them all kinds of fresh horses, oxes, and everything. 
and uh, marched on, and, and kind of all during this time, uh, uh, the men are still still getting kind of upset that General Houston doesn't want to go fight. Uh, Houston was references back in the book several times to uh, to Washington's retreat during the Revolutionary War, which you know ultimately was uh was well thought out and worthwhile uh and all during this just something i thought was funny was santa Ana was laying down in houston with a handful of girlfriends drinking tequila every day getting laid yeah why wouldn't you <laughs> can't blame her yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know in houston houston's just working he's uh Somewhere along the the lines of all this, he's uh, started making rounds every day through his men, uh, just trying to build trust among them. You know, kind of kind of be a buddy, but but still maintain his authority. And uh, they hang out. Hard, hang... To, hard to do with his stature. I mean, he was a big man. Yeah, he was six <laughs> four or something. He was he was real. And shot up several times. Like oh yeah, like yeah, he was probably he intimidating. Probably <laughs> limping around, hadn't smiled in seven years. <laughs> anyway, so uh, you know they hang out there for a handful of days and then kind of kick off uh, marching out again. Uh, some folks think the original plan may have been to get to the Louisiana border, the Sabine River, uh, so they could be on U.S. territory and theoretically have the support of, of U.S. forces at this time. Uh, and also uh, think that having Santa Ana now having to come and invade the United States would be a, a deterrent to him. Uh, but there comes a point where they, they veer back south uh, down to San Jacinto uh, and ultimately end up meeting up with uh, Santa Ana's army there. And uh, they have a few skirmishes over a few days. It's it's almost just kind of seemed like a lot of dicking around, uh, just sort of pestering each other. But once again, they're, they're at extremely close quarters. You know, their camps are set up no less than a thousand yards apart. Which nowadays is even hard to imagine, but, uh, but, uh, well, if you go to the San Jacinto Monument, you can see the end of the, the pool to the monument is, is exactly how far away our, their camps were. Oh, really? Yeah. I, uh, I've never been over there. I need to try to get that way. Yeah, you, you've got to, it's, it's pretty awesome. That, uh, Bernardo Plantation is in Hempstead, Texas, which is about 25 miles east of Brenham, home of Bluebell Ice Cream. There you go. Brenham. Yeah, Brenham. What's what's another? You're going to need to keep going bigger city for me. Um, It's maybe an hour and a half outside of Houston. North? Northwest. Okay. Out towards College Station. All right, that makes sense. That may as well be a whole nother world for me. Yeah. Probably, clo- probably closer <laughs> to you guys than it is to. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, we're. 
we are uh, at San Jacinto. The Texians uh, basically ambushed the Mexicans in their camp. Uh, and through through the course of 18-minute battle, basically end in this war, uh, they killed 630 Mexicans, wounded 200 of them, and captured 700. Uh, uh, basically, they just came in and were raising holy hell, and the Mexicans didn't know how to how to respond to it. The Texians only lost 12 men and had 30 or so wounded through this whole thing. Uh, uh, once it was all said and done, Santa Ana was nowhere to be found. He, uh, he took off, ran off by himself. They ultimately found him the next day, uh, when they're just out kind of, kind of riding around. They found him, uh, hiding under a blanket. They actually didn't know it was Santa Ana until they got him back around the rest of the captured and they all started to, uh, salute him and, praise him and you know stuff that basically act honor him like a god and so really from there santa Ana basically sold out uh, all of mexico gave texas their independence uh begged to be treated like a general even though he'd shown no mercy to anybody along the way uh and they you know they honored it they didn't execute him he actually lived to be in his 80s um he did die senile and alone, which could just be, you know, splicing the book up. But I'd like to think that was the case. And then the the uh, last thing I just want to double down because it it brings it up again in the book, and I like it is uh, when William Travis and his his last letter out of the Alamo says, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his honor and that of his country. Uh, it's just a powerful phrase. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyways, I, I enjoyed the book. I'd recommend it if you have any, any interest in the subject and don't want to read a textbook. Uh, Brian Kilmeade has a few other books that I'm uh, one of them's the Thomas Jefferson and the Tripoli Pirates, which I don't know a whole lot about. This is apparently Thomas Jefferson and something he got into with some Islamic pirates. Uh, Andrew Jackson and the Miracle of New Orleans, which is about the War of 1812, I believe. Uh, Andrew Jackson and General Houston were kind of uh, buddies all along. Um, actually, Andrew Jackson had a huge interest in Texas as far as getting the, getting it to continue the westward expansion of, of the United States. And of course, all these, you know, wars, uh, all these battles, battles helped lead to that, uh, with Texas being its own republic somewhere along the way, still is its own republic. Uh, and the last book by Brian Kilmeade is uh, George Washington and the Secret Six, which is about uh, Washington spies during the Revolutionary War. This is probably the only other one of Kilmeade's books I would read, but that's just because uh, that's kind of where my interests lie is within that. Those other ones, you know, don't fire me up any. But... Uh, uh, 
that makes me think of Joe Rogan's bit. The Texas was like, let's let's hang back. We don't know about this whole United States shit. <laughs> 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 we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> does he does he have a bit too about how many tires there are in Texas? Yeah, <laughs> there's there's more more there's tigers, more tigers in, in Texas private, than in the wild. Yeah, in <laughs> private captivity than all the wild of the world. Uh, so that's that's that, y'all. Thank you all for bearing with me through the presentation. No, I I think that was good, Barry. I mean, that was a pretty good summer summary of the book. Um, I thought I thought the book, you know, from. Uh, I'll listen to the audiobook in it, but I I thought it was pretty entertaining to to listen to. I'm gonna finish it, but um I know the, the Amazon reviews probably aren't the best for it. You're saying Barry, what where were they saying about it? I, I never like I never looked at the for the audio they, portion. They basically just said Brian Kilmead reads like a fourth grader, I think is kinda what I was picking up on it. Oh hey. Oh. Well, <laughs> Just read it, you uh, damn. I don't know what you know, version I got, but it's <laughs> pretty intense. He was, it's pretty intense, but but no, it, it was educational. I, I actually learned a, a good bit. I hope it's all factual, but <laughs> I think, but you know, I think the, the pieces of it. I think the pieces of it that need to be factual are there's probably all kinds of shit. You know, it's only a 230 page book, and right. I feel like I probably touched on all the factual parts so the other 228 pages are probably just filler but like i said you know if you just want to get a general idea of how it all played out in a in a manner that's enjoyable to read it's a good way to do it absolutely and then going back going back to the killing series man you can learn a lot uh there's reagan kennedy lincoln uh, uh, England, the SS, the Rising Jesus, Sun, the Rising Sun. Uh, all of them are very good. Now, on the Killing series, I, I have only have one, and it's Killing Reagan. Is that mm-hmm. the best one to start off with? That's a good one to start off with. I think. Yeah, I think that's the one I yeah. started with. All right, I, got a I good think. One. I think my favorite of all of them was probably Lincoln. Mine was SS, but that's where my interests lie anyway. So. Yeah. John uh, John loves all things uh, Nazi. Aside, the, <laughs> aside from Killing the Nazis us. themselves. Killing Nazis. <laughs> and business is a booming. <laughs> John, you got any thoughts on the uh, Texas Revolution? Not many, just that I'm damn proud to be a Texan. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. You too, Jared. Well, I don't know if I want to go back right now. Maybe this summer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with all your coronavirus over there. But no, you're right. I think I've got it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm, give me two days. I'll be, I'm gonna be on Fox News saying I just don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Spraying your friends with Lysol. Yeah. <laughs> That's 
it's got to be all their spraying in the schools. You see people in these hazmat suits. They're, yeah. they're spraying Lysol, man. It's <laughs> Texas has five School? new cases today. Yep. Jeez. Three of them in Lubbock, where I just was this weekend. Yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a healthy young man. Be okay. <laughs> um. John, tell us about uh, driving from South Carolina to Arkansas and then your experiences in Arkansas. Yeah, so I'm working on my MBA right now, so this last week was spring break for me. And so I hadn't taken a trip with my wife since we've been married, so this was the time we were going to go. So we rented the car, hopped in, drove across Georgia and out. Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee just a little bit to get into Arkansas and then so the first day we drove to Little Rock and I drove all the way to Little Rock the first day yeah Yeah. we actually drove about an hour past it where we stayed but we ate in Conway at the Whole Hog Cafe if you're ever in Conway Arkansas or Fayetteville Arkansas check it out what is that best damn thing the whole Did hog cafe. Whole hog. Did we eat it whole, whole hog? I don't think so. We just, oh, we ate it slams. Slams. Chicken. Oh. The next day, so we actually skipped uh, daylight saving. So we woke up in the eastern time zone on Saturday, and, and then we woke up in the central time zone on Sunday. So we skipped <laughs> daylight savings. <laughs> We drove to Fayetteville, Arkansas, went to one of the baseball games there, the last baseball games before they were um, canceled for the year. Rest in peace, Louie. Uh, so then we spent yeah, the Shout the out week. to Louie <laughs> If you're out there, please let me know if you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so we spent the week out in Ponca, Arkansas at the Buffalo Outdoor Center cabins, which just had the most amazing views. Uh, I had my bachelor party out there, and then Louie also had his bachelor party out there, too, two years later. So I've been out there every other year for three times over the last five years. I but guess Louie the... forgot to invite me. Yeah. <laughs> you may Is that out been. in the Ozarks? Yeah. Nice. It's damn beautiful. Yeah. Even, like, it's just starting to green up out there, and it's still just gorgeous. But we hiked for two days, uh, once out to Hawksville Crag, which you've seen very, and then another along the Buffalo River Trail, which I tried to backpack a couple years ago, but had to come home for family emergency. But I did actually just stood out there for about an hour just staring at one of the uh, bluffs, taking it all in. Like uh, Edward Abbey says, uh, you see more walking a mile than driving a hundred. Yep. You got to see all Truth. that kind of stuff. Well, uh, uh, we went kayaking, and my wife was all worried the entire time. We made it about probably half mile before we did our first series of rapids that apparently I couldn't handle. 
<laughs> I tipped over. <laughs> lost my Ray-Bans. Lost, lost my his Ray-Bans. <laughs> hey, I got a story about Ray-Bans. <laughs> Were you there when he lost listen, his? Listen, oh, I was there. I witnessed the whole thing. So, listen, Barry... We're floating the Comal River, and we're just about to hit the tube chute. <laughs> Everyone's like, all right, brace yourselves, get your equipment down. And Barry says, and I quote, I couldn't lose these sunglasses even if I tried. Well, <laughs> as luck would have it, he lost those sunglasses. I, I even went I, I even went out of my way and bought one of them damn things to keep them on your head. I, you know, I still think, I still think somebody snagged them. I think they saw me flip no. <laughs> and saw the sunglasses come off and snagged them as soon as they did. Cause there's all, all kinds of people congregating right there. Oh man. Yeah. They were those sunglasses for those. had a damn good run though. <laughs> yeah. It could still be down chums. there. Ooh, I had bought yeah. some chums the day before and they don't really work if they're on the, your sunglasses are sitting on the bill of your hat and the, all the water <laughs> your hat right you lost your hat too didn't you yeah no was it a lucky hat was it one that you've had a long time it's a sort of significant oh no kind of defective so i haven't been wearing i I wear it when i'm out hiking and stuff i don't miss it too much oh well that's good but i had a long damn one of these rapids and i'm just getting the shit beat out of me my shin taking the brood of it. I had to kick my way out of the kayak because I was carrying me. <laughs> my wife's just sitting downstream with the... I was about the, to say, where's your <laughs> wife at during all this? <laughs> she got through it just fine. <laughs> so at one point, I disappear. I'm still floating. I disappear from view from her. And all of a sudden, it gets real deep. And I'm kind of just relying on this uh, life jacket. And I'm a good swimmer, and I panic in the water, but I started to panic there for a second and inhaled some water. (laughs) He started coughing it up. (laughs) (laughs) I got back into it. Uh, We get right down to the point where they usually put you in when the water's a little bit lower and go over this rapid and tip again and damn near sink the boat this time trying to get out. First, we we tried to recover on the other side of the water, but so like uh, Travis said or Houston said, there are times when it requires more courage to retreat than to stand and fight. <laughs> I had to hang it up. Yeah, I had to. I went over to the ranger station and called the outfitter. They were actually nice enough to refund me the shuttle fee of moving my car ten miles wow. down the road. They they showed wow. up within five minutes and picked us up. Really? Yeah. I'm like, we better get this guy out of here before he kills himself. Yeah. Hey, he's still in the cabins. So it wasn't any, it sounds a little more intense than like when we kayaked the uh, Duck River in Shelbyville, Tennessee. Yes. Definitely. That was more of a, I mean, I've done that this, was more of a yeah. leisurely stroll. Yeah, they call it floating, but it ain't floating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and i've done the stretch before actually from where we 
where we ended, I've started before and gone eight miles downstream, but I tipped three times that time, but I'd been drinking. So I figured I, I can handle it without drinking, but that, that wasn't the case. Oh, maybe, maybe a little aim right's what you needed. Yeah. So, uh, we also, so the cabins check out movies, uh, that's occupants. And I checked out World War Z in honor of the events going on in the world. Yeah, you picked a damn good week for it, man. All week, my world's crumbling to a million pieces around me. I'm like, John's just sitting up there in fucking Ponca. Without a yeah. clue in the world. What? Uh, which cabin did you stay in? Now I remember. So there's kind of, on the end. There's kind of the hotel one, and then I think I remember four or five more on down the road. Yeah, so we stayed in the last one on that road. I think they may have built another one on down since then. So we oh. actually we had to go back out, not to the main road, but to the a little further down. So we're, we had the same view as our bachelor party. But we stayed okay. in Texas. Seems fitting for a weekend getaway with your wife. Yeah. Okay, so that's... Okay. And there was okay. a mouse in there. <laughs> so our last night I'd had a couple uh, Tito's and Topo uh, <laughs> all of a sudden my wife goes there's a mouse and I decided that I'm not dealing with this I don't have any traps I'm not going to wake up with this thing in my bed or in my luggage I walk over and find a plastic dustpan <laughs> start hitting it with it and it reminded me of a uh, Stephen King's 1922. Read it and watch it, everybody, if you haven't already. Yeah. Oh, Papa, make her stop, Henry shrieked. Make her stop, oh, Papa, for the love of God, make her stop. I feel like I may have uh, brought this up in the last episode, but when me and Jared went and stayed at your cabin... Up in Dalton Canyon, Pegas, New Mexico. Hey, I had just hey, watched 1922. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll edit. I'll edit that out. Uh, I gotta set. I gotta get the setting though. You know, uh, man, I was I was fucked up. Every little scratch and claw I heard. I didn't sleep the first night we were there, and. My dog I bet was that up, dog messed you looking, up too, getting that... after it, man. He was <laughs> on the hunt all night. Jared's sleeping like a damn baby. I never slept better. Yeah, my, I... my wife told me that she didn't sleep the night before because she was worried that the mouse might have friends and they might come for revenge. <laughs> like, you watch that movie. I don't worry about mice. I worry about rats. <laughs> And I don't know if there was any in the cabin or not, but man, I, I think we were there for three nights. And like night three, I'm like, man, if they're going to get me, they're going to get me. <laughs> but anyways, go watch that movie, everybody. And read, read the book first. You can at my Barnes and Noble, you can now buy the book separate. Otherwise, yeah, it is uh, located in full dark, no stars, which has three other fantastic short stories in it. We ever do video? That's what it looks like. There's also yep. nudity if we ever do. 
we're going to do everything we can to uh, not allow to keep Apple from allowing us on their platform. So <laughs> nudity. I'm sure. Idea. I'm sure me saying Mexicans <laughs> 25 times tonight. It's probably going to be the end of it. That made me think of the Michael Scott thing. Was is there something less offensive than Mexican? (laughs) (laughs) Full uh, disclosure, my girlfriend is a Mexican, so I had a guy uh, one day at work call me racist. It's a long story, and I just was like, man, you don't got to dig very far into my life to (laughs) find out I'm not. (laughs) towards Mexicans. The least worst kept secret at work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, John, you said you had the origin of the line in the sand. Uh, yeah, so it says they have moved off of it since, but it says it came from the Bible. I mean, I'm, I'm way past it, apparently. Uh from John like six eight or something like that, and Jesus said um, he was trying to stop people from stoning a woman, so he wrote some words in the sand. So that's kind of how it translated. He drew lines in the sand ah. to stop them from stoning this woman. But even the Alamo Travis's speech is referenced in here as a use in his in history. Good to know. Try to uh, incorporate that into your day tomorrow, everybody. It's John 8-6. Ah, you got it backwards. John 8-6. Maybe one day we can uh, cover the Bible on this podcast. We might need to here in the near future. Yeah. (laughs) I believe... uh, I believe the Lord may be uh, laying his vengeance upon us right now. At least on the oil, man, he is. Jared, uh, you recently... Yeah, Yeah, in our retirement accounts. Jared, (laughs) you uh, recently turned 30 and ran an ultra marathon that had some wonky shit going on with it. Yeah, so the original idea was... uh, run 30 miles from my 30th birthday and uh yeah just so happened to be there's a there's a trail uh near my house that's that's a five mile loop and there just so happens to be a trail run and ultra marathon that runs six laps on this on this trail so i decided why not sign up for it Got to training, felt pretty good going into it, and uh, I'll come to find out uh, some of the property of the trail has been sold, so I didn't get the full 30 miles in. It was more like, that's some, it was more like 28. It was more that's like 28 some miles. shit, man. I'd be, I'd be so pissed <laughs> off. Listen, uh, and why, uh, didn't you, why didn't you go run two more on your own terms? Well, I... You know, I felt pretty tired at the end of this at the end of this run, but I, I don't feel bad. I was kind of upset about it at first going into the race, but listen, I, I, it's just fine with me now. It is all right, but uh, I ended up running a pretty good race. <clears throat> I ended up winning, uh, I guess, the whole thing. 
There you go. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. what time? It was uh, three fifty-seven. Three fifty-seven, and this trail is not like the low country. This thing is is uh, as soon as you step in the woods. I mean, you're pretty sharp hills, sharp turns. It it's a crazy ass trail, but uh, it's a lot. It was a lot of fun, and and uh, one by uh, over an hour. So that felt pretty good. God damn. <laughs> and, uh, what's that lady's name that won the Moab 240? Courtney. Courtney. Yeah, Courtney Dewalter. <laughs> Finished in like two days before anybody else on the. Uh, no, but but speaking of Candace Burke. Speaking of Candace, she's doing the uh, Arizona Trail, which is 800 miles. Uh, <sighs> runs from the Mexican border to the Utah border. Aiming to get the fastest known time. She's on day three. I suspect she's probably 180 miles into it or so. What was the previous record? I don't know. I tried to find that. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't find it. But if you go watch Unbranded, I'm pretty sure they ride the Arizona Trail. Uh, uh, if you feel like if you feel like hating your life for about six weeks, go uh, watch Unbranded for a couple hours and. Listen, I was pricing Mustangs after watching that thing. I don't know shit about horses, but I was looking for one after watching that. I can tell you it ain't worth it. Uh, what was your uh, diet and training plan like for the race, Jared? Uh, well, I, I did the Charleston Marathon about two months before that, so it kind of set up perfect with this uh, 50K training plan. Yeah, and uh, so I just kind of continued that. Uh, but really, man, I I ate a lot of vegetables. I've been trying to really move towards a plant based diet, uh, not because it's a fat or anything. <laughs> I more like just to help with the recovery, and it's 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 been helping out a good bit. But that, that's what I've been doing, just trying to eat clean, really. Say, you like know, you. if I want to eat dirty, do it on the weekends. Like, I, I try to stay pretty strict on the weekdays. Every day is the weekend around here. Yeah. I mean, I... What, uh... So, so, you're uh, anti... <laughs> you're not a pro-carnivore diet, I take it. Do you know who uh, Zach Bitter is? Listen, well, you, you can do whatever diet works, works for you. It, it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> Have you heard of Zach Bear? No. Look him up when we get done here, Jared right. and everybody else. Zach Bear. We uh, how about you go vegan? I'll go carnivore. We'll see see how it works out for us. Well, man, you know when I when I was doing keto, I did keto for a long time thanks to Barry, and uh, but my blood work, an annual blood checkup for work came it was whack like it was terrible and i switched up my diet the very next year dude it was it was nearly flawless like it was it was the best uh it was the best uh report i've had yet that's that's your own damn fault for getting your blood work checked (laughs) listen you gotta it doesn't work for everyone you know but i mean hey if it works for free man do it it doesn't work for me anymore 
The actual- <laughs> I'll lose 50 pounds on the carnivore diet. We can go get our blood work checked. We'll just read them on here. Yeah. It could be, it could should, be man. flawless, man. <laughs> we, might, we might need to put us a little Sober October type challenge together. Oh, that'd yeah. be great. Aside from, sober, aside from the sober part. <laughs> <laughs> I made a deal with my wife that I could take whitewater kayaking lessons if I lost 20 pounds. And then I could go do the next series after that if I lost 20 more. <laughs> That's a good deal. I uh, I had lost 16 pounds on the year, but then I went to Lubbock, and I'm pretty sure I gained it all back. What What is your diet, Ben, Barry? Oh just whatever really <laughs> it's not been too many i uh so i did uh 20 days of a whole 30 in january mm-hmm. and uh i've done pretty good kind of pretty well still eating that way mm-hmm. and uh for the most part but i've kind of i've kind of been in a bit of a on a bit of a bender lately as far yeah. as food goes but i tell you what actually saves me and uh is unless I have a work-related lunch, which I have several of, I just won't eat lunch those days. Mm-hmm. And so I think that kind of bails me out having two or three uh, fasted days a week. Getting that deficit. Yeah, and then usually, I mean, if I, as long as I eat at home, I'll eat good. But uh, on the weekends, I'm terrible because I like drinking beer. And I mean, you gotta you gotta drink beer on the weekends. Mexican food and stuff. <laughs> but i'm trying to you know i want to be my goal uh the pool's open back up memorial day so i'd like to be around 220 by then i was at 236 last time i weighed in i tell you what's actually has helped me a lot with losing weight is uh, i've started lifting weights instead of running as much i've been yeah. lifting more and it's definitely has uh i think has helped tone me up a little bit what about what about your bike? You still getting? Uh, yeah, uh, it's been raining a lot here by our standards, and so I hadn't been able to go to the mountain bike park because yeah. I close it if it's muddy. Uh, they, our uh, trails have been closed all year. They just opened this week because of rain. Yeah, it has not stopped raining. Climate change, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is We're approaching summer, so it's climate change. Now, yeah. <laughs> start back up in December. Yeah, I say it's been raining a lot. It's rained like three times, and it's probably all we'll get till this time next year. So, dude, when it rains yeah, over actually there, actually, today, man, it rained rains. like hell today. Yeah. <laughs> it rained like hell today, uh, and now it's probably fifty-five percent humidity, and I'm fucking miserable, sweating. Can't get. I'm hot. I can't get cooled off, no matter what I do. Oh, you're sweating right now. No. <laughs> well, while you guys were off doing all that stuff, I went to Lubbock uh, with my girlfriend and uh, and the kid. It was pretty fun. I turned my cell phone off when I got there and left it off till we left, and it, that was damn nice. And it didn't take long, man. After about uh, oh, I I mean by. By the end of breakfast on Saturday, you know, it'd been sixteen hours. We'll say it was it was nice. Felt like all my thoughts had kind of sorted themselves out. I forgot about all the shit happening in the world. Having a uh, four mimosas at Torchy's 
during that time. <laughs> what tacos uh, did he get, Barry? Uh, I got, uh, I had two Wranglers and a, uh, hill, the, uh, trailer park hillbilly style, which is a fried chicken strip with chorizo and queso. God bless it. It is damn good. There's actually torches in Fayetteville. They're torches in Fayetteville now. Get out of town. There's actually one in Odessa, too, but you got to be wanting torches pretty damn bad to go to downtown Odessa to get it. (laughs) But uh, so it was good. And then we just hung out. I mean, Lubbock's, Lubbock's not exactly a. You know, there's not a whole lot going on, but it was nice. The weather was perfect on Saturday. I uh, went for a run around Tech's campus. Uh, I'll actually, I'll call it a jog more than a run. And then... Uh, hey, next like, time you go, get uh, take your mountain bike, dude. The Canyon Lake number six. Has a mountain bike trail supposed to be pretty yeah, sweet? Yeah, I heard about that, and I I would have taken it if we were staying more than a day. You know, we uh, we drove up uh, Friday afternoon, and we're back in Midland. We were back in Midland by noon on Sunday, so I let you guys know everything about where I live. <laughs> uh, one other thing I wanted to add is I after I finished uh, Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers, I read. Uh, the Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra, and uh, it's good. It's a good little self help book. It it's like a hundred pages. I read it in about an hour and a half. Uh, so if you just need a little pick me up, read that. And uh, I'm now reading the the new Iberia Blues. I don't uh, remember off the top of my head who it's by. But it's been pretty good. It's a series. Uh, the Dave Dave uh, Robichaux is a detective set in uh, New Iberia, Louisiana, which both of you guys have uh, Cajun ties, so you could probably What'd appreciate you say it's that. The New Iberia Blues. Hmm, I have a hmm. trilogy that I've read too. Oh, so yours the is the, the Bayou trilogy. Yeah, that's right. Is uh, I've got that one as well. I've never read it though, but it's this book's good. been pretty good, and it's supposedly based on the Amazon reviews. Uh, is the worst of all the books within the series. Uh, new. I'll look up who it's by for you guys. And I bought uh, I bought the border by Don Winslow and did not realize until after I opened it up that it was the third book of a trilogy. So uh, (laughs) pay attention to that. If you ever go that route, uh, new Iberia blues is by James Lee Burke. James Lee Burke. And it's uh, detective Dave Robichaux. It's pretty good so far. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it on here one day. What are you guys working on? Well, so, so I was looking for an audio book because I had to do all the driving to Arkansas. Uh, I landed on 
the Chronicles of Narnia. So I listened to the first one, Magician's Nephew, on the way there, and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe on the way back. The reason I kind of landed on this is uh, I've been kind of getting into World War One a little bit, and I knew that um, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings was kind of based on his experiences in World War One, And then I right. found out that C.S. Lewis and him were in a group called the Inklings. They taught at Oxford, I think, and so they discussed the literature and they were best of friends, so I decided to check this out, too. And my mom had given me the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis a few years ago, which is a letters from the devil to his nephew screw tape. But uh, I've really enjoyed did, uh, those two. In the did C.S. Lewis write Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, so, and I, I really enjoyed the first two. I've actually started to read them. Uh, I just enjoyed it so much, I wanted to go back and get kind of the details out of it. But I remember this uh, dedication that I really liked before the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And he says, my dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you. But when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales. And by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still. But someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. You can take you can then take it down from the upper shelf, dust it, and tell me what you think of it. I shall probably be too deaf to hear and too old to understand a word you say, but I shall still be your affectionate godfather, C.S. Lewis. So that kind of hit me. I, I definitely wouldn't have read this in the last 10 years, but as I get kind of older, I like, yeah, I need some just easy reading, some yeah. children's stories. And so I've really enjoyed uh, Magician's, Magician's Nephew so far. I'll that's probably a, talk about it next time. Well, that's a, that's a good point on on looking for a children's story, you know, I, I texted both of you guys before we went out to Lubbock, just saying, I need some mindless, mindless something to read. And then new Iberia is what I ended up with, but there's definitely, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for just reading a good story and not that blood Meridian's not a good story, but it takes a lot of fucking brain power to read that thing. Yeah, so that it does. You gotta yes, have a sir. damn notepad out, and <laughs> it's gotta be quiet. Yeah, yeah, you can't have you can't have any TV lingering in the background for sure. So, uh, noted. Chronicles of Narnia. They're short books too, aren't they? Yeah, they're about a hundred pages each. That's that's my kind of book. Yeah. <laughs> Jared, what are you reading? I'm reading. I'm reading uh, "Alone on the Wall" by Alex Honnold. Oh yeah, nice. this was this was a uh, uh, birthday present from a friend here in South Carolina. So I just started on it today. Just finished a, a book called Death in Big Bend. Oh, yeah. A few different tales on uh, 
death and rescue there in the, the national park, which was pretty crazy. But, uh, but anyway, looking forward to seeing how this book goes alone on the wall. I don't, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't know anything about it. So, you know anything about Alex Honnold? Oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 I didn't. Oh yeah. He actually has. This is uh, a few chapters on it, on that climb, on free solo in in this book. So, looking forward to it. Good. Be ready to discuss it. I uh, death and big band. I'm ready to get back down there. It's blue bonnet season. You better get. Are they are they even allowing people in there right now? Yeah, I think so. I think it's actually free admission right now. I think really? everything's shut down, but you can just go have free reign of the place. So shoot, and you that, can fly there deal. for twenty bucks private. Yeah, fly <laughs> right into Terlingua, the dirt track out there. You boys got any uh, closing thoughts? Stay healthy. Yep. Wash your hands. Wash your face. That's all I got. Hit it hard. Hit it hard. (laughs) Read them fast. Drink them slow. (laughs) The, uh... Yes, TV's been, uh... Whatever, I can watch last year's Masters as well as I can watch this year's Masters. So My April's ruined. It's the damnedest thing I've ever seen, but it's conversation for another time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I live in Augusta. <laughs> everyone here is freaking out. There people <laughs> rent their houses out for like $8,000 for the week and then pays their mortgage for the whole year. Right. <laughs> They're gonna have to get that back. Oh god! They probably already spent it. Yeah, having to having to get a refi their house to get the damn eight thousand. <laughs> Hell of a note. So, what did you? It looked like they were thinking about maybe making it up in October. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been just been hearing rumors like the Augusta National talking to school board about extending fall break. I checked uh, my hotel app, and all the Hilton brand hotels are sold out the week of the 8th through the 11th, I believe, uh, in October. Uh, I don't don't know what that means. If somebody knows something I don't know, or people are just getting prepared, and they're booking anything they can book. Right. Well, uh, do you think... uh... They're going to have to go in and plant, like, all new landscaping and shit, I would think. I mean, they post... If you go on Google Earth, they have a picture from September, and the, the whole course is just brown. Yeah. So, <laughs> they're going to have to do something do, different. But if anybody can do it, it's Augusta National. So, if anybody there, can do that. There's azaleas. I mean, unless they have winter or fall blooming azaleas... <laughs> Uh, they free, the they freeze those bastards. <laughs> yeah. talked about doing pumpkins. <laughs> and an orange that jacket. Would, that'd yeah. be interesting. <laughs> Get Rory his 
only Masters wearing it be an orange jacket instead of a <laughs> green. <laughs> well, I'll be curious to see how it all shakes out. I mean, I just don't know. Hey, it by the way, gro- grossly overblown. Yeah, on many fronts. The PGA Championship. The tickets. I got. I'm gonna buy tickets here in May. If y'all are interested. Hey, Kai, was that the one in Kiwa? Yeah. For next year? Next year. Damn, I've, I keep getting think emails about, about it. it. Just think Did about you get, it. Is there a lottery or something? We've got till the end of April, right, to get tickets? Yeah, or the beginning of April. The beginning? April 1st. April 3rd. The difference between the beginning and the end of April. Yep. <laughs> There's a lot of days. I go ahead and book my flight. I can probably get this thing all wrapped up for about $180. <laughs> That'd be good. Where is that at in North Carolina? Keywatch in Hilton Head. Is it Hilton Head? Well, it's like just south of Charleston. Uh, like in between Edisto Beach and Folly. Somewhere so in that range. I could fly to Charleston. Yeah, yeah. fly to Charleston. Southwest, dude. Boom. Book it. Okay. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> I'd like to go. So... It's uh, it's for next year's PGA. <laughs> for those at home, <laughs> Barry has bowed his head to say a little prayer. <laughs> it's hot, yet cold at the same time. All right. Anybody else got anything? Back in two weeks. You can find us on Spotify only. <laughs> I'm, I think that's all right. I think so, too. I think Apple can, <laughs> can come from crawling to us when we have a million <laughs> downloads a month. And pay us. Yeah. <laughs> so... Okay. We'll get there. Thanks for All listening, right. everyone. Thank you for listening. Yep. We'll Thanks be back. Uh, we got uh, we got Chronicles of Narnia, free solo book. What's it called? Alone on the Wall. Alone on the Wall. And the new Iberia Blues on the horizon. So be on the lookout. Peace. Cheers, boys. Y'all have a good night. Peace. listening to this episode of the bourbon bookshelf podcast we hope you've enjoyed it until next time you can support us by liking us on instagram at bourbon underscore bookshelf 
and by subscribing to and reviewing the podcast. Talk to you soon.